You're listening to Movie Homework, brought to you by the Binge Media Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. today as always by my co-host chad how's it going man i'm good it's it's the middle of summer oh wow i'm tied that in here and it's hot as fuck but i'm ready to talk about some midsomar jesus christ Exciting it's times quite mm-hmm. quite quite a tie-in um <laughs> all right so so yeah uh last time we were talking mission impossible you know summer movie season stuff and we figured we would tie into an upcoming release uh from a24 that I think is in theaters this weekend. Um, is it, it? I'm sorry, Chad. Is it called Talk to Me? Is that the title? That is right. Yeah, it's A24's. Uh, it's their widest release uh, since uh, Midsommar. So we've been wanting to talk about this for a while, and we said, yeah, it'll tie in nicely. A new A24 horror movie's coming out in July, and this one came out in July just four years ago. So thought it was yeah. right for the the talking. So yeah, so. Uh, Midsommar 2019, Ari Aster's second theatrical feature, um, followed up uh, Hereditary, this movie did, and since then we've gotten Bo is Afraid. Uh, for me, I, of, of this, I don't know, uh, generation of filmmakers that seems like, sort not quite up and coming, but they're, they're like just established, they're, they're like the new auteurs, um, mm-hmm. I think Aster is really close to the top of my favorites list um yep. you know what we're going to talk about this movie hereditary obviously is a is a hell of a, a debut movie um there's so much going on in that it's so well made it does so many things that i enjoy Bo is afraid i walked out of the theater kind of like dumbfounded but the more <laughs> time has passed that has become one of my favorite movies of the year um yep. it's a it's actually <laughs> I don't think a lot of people have put this together. I've seen a little bit of online discourse about it. Bo is Afraid is a remake of another movie. And I don't want to say what the movie is because it would spoil Bo is Afraid. But, Chad, if I haven't told you this, we can talk about it off air. But, like, it is a it is a fantastic reimagining of another movie. So, I'm, I'm a... I really like what Aster does overall. Um, yeah. He's tied to Scorsese. Scorsese seems to be his biggest cheerleader. Um... You know, when Hereditary came out, he had a lot to say about it. I know he showed up to a screening of Midsommar with Aster, and they sort of went over the film and did a Q&A with the audience after... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, at a screening of Bo's Afraid, rather. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's he's basically got the Scorsese stamp of approval, which is a big thing for me. Um, but, Chad, yeah, I know... No, go ahead. Well, to that point, he, he wrote the foreword for the Midsommar director's cut uh, 4K Blu-ray as well. So, I mean, yeah, he's oh, <laughs> the whole thing is all Scorsese. So, yeah, he's a, he's a big fan. Um, so, I, you know, we, we talk a lot about A24 movies. And I think you and I, and, we, you know, we've, we have like a side chat going with Alex all the time about these kinds of movies. We, we get kind of hyped up for them in a way that maybe not everybody on the site does. Um, sure. but what's your relationship with Aster as far as his body of work so far? Yeah. I mean, I've even watched some of his short films. Uh, the strange thing about the Johnsons is on YouTube. It's about 30 minutes. If, uh, people have never seen that, uh, it's really weird and fucked up. Weird shocker. Uh, Ari Aster movie being, uh, strange, but, uh, Interesting. Something to do with the son and his dad a little bit. He's got a little daddy issues. Is definitely. I mean, uh, as you can, you know, Bo is afraid, mommy issues, little, little stuff going on. It's relationship shit, of course, with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, same. I'm I, all three of his uh, feature-length films. I'm a fan of. Uh, I believe I texted you as soon as I watched Bo is Afraid, and I was like, this is easily his most inaccessible movie. <laughs> it's gonna like people are gonna absolutely hate this more than the other two. And I know a lot of people that hate Hereditary and Midsommar. Uh, specifically this movie we're going to talk about today. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I like all of his work. Uh, same with, like, Eggers. I mean, yeah, these these up-and-coming guys. I think, I think I like Ari Aster more, but I like The Lighthouse the most of, like, this crop of A24-type uh, movies. Like, I, that's, that, that one stands out, and that was also another 2019 movie. Um, yeah. 
which you know they, they uncut gems also they a24 had a pretty sweet 2019 yes. <laughs> um so yeah great year for movies in general so yeah man i i've been i i actually do remember doing the binge views with law in uh 2019 about this so uh this is a this is, this is a good one to talk about. There's so many layers in this movie, and I think this movie is also just gets better with every rewatch. You just find other things that you didn't see before. So uh, yeah. yeah, should be a good time. Well, you know, there's one thing that gets um, I don't know lobbied against Astor when it comes to his films, and it's that he is very good at reworking existing stories. So, for instance. Mm-hmm. Hereditary, it, you know, the, the criticism I've heard against that is that Hereditary is nothing more than an updated Rosemary's Baby. And that sure. Midsommar is an updated Wicker Man. Wicker Man, yep. Now, I think, again, I don't think a lot of people have caught on, because maybe not everybody has seen this other movie, but Bo is Afraid kind of follows this arc as well. It is very much his version of this other story. And again, I'm biting my tongue, because this isn't a Bo is Afraid podcast. I don't want to spoil that for anybody. But, um... it's funny because I can see the comparisons and I can see the interpretation, but to me, Hereditary and Midsommar feel like they're his own story that he's used this other film's framework to tell. I, I think that they're far more paranoid than those movies are, even though those movies deal with paranoia. It's like these are coming from an internal place that those other movies aren't. I don't know if yep. that makes sense, but you get the idea that, that Aster is like intensely anxious through these three stories. Um, but that all being said, um, Midsommar. So I remember going into this. Give a, and... give a trailer, uh, part of the trailer for this first before we... Yeah, we can do that. Oh, okay, I, I didn't. I didn't know if you wanted to play that for. We usually play that at the beginning. I didn't. I just. I didn't want the podcast to get by and we forgot the sounders. No, no, it's the, a good call. Club. That's why I have a co-host here because uh, you know sometimes I get it. All right, we're gonna we're gonna dive deep on this one. I feel like this is gonna be one of the longer ones we've done. So could be, could be. All right, let's let's take a listen to the trailer. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through. Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. School! So, that bit of the trailer doesn't really convey what this movie is, um, but I wanted to play it because there's one thing I really want to think about while we're talking about this movie. And are the, is this a cult? Like, are these people evil or are the visitors being punished for not respecting their customs? And that's something I, I just want to plant that seed. We can talk about it later a little bit more, but it's definitely the way I watched this movie this time. Really wanted to see whether or not these people were fucking crazy or not. So let's just let's just keep that on the back burner for the time being. Um, okay. Okay. Any uh, any box office info for this one? Yes. So uh, as I said, this released on uh, Wednesday, July third, twenty nineteen. It uh, actually released with a movie known as Spider Man: Far From Home, and. Uh, it grossed a total of $27 million domestically on a $9 million budget, so pretty much the exact opposite of Bo is Afraid. It was made for $35 million and it grossed $8 million domestic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like we said, this was right in the... I mean, 2019, I mean, once upon a time, Hollywood, Parasite, there's so many good ones. Knives Out, there, there's a, just released in that, the middle of that summer. And, yeah, a good year. Yeah, it was good. It was a good year. It was a good year. That, God, now that, you, now that you mentioned that, I'm pretty sure there was a weekend in 2019 where I saw The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, and Knives Out in the same weekend. And all three were great. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. That would have been November of that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Um, all right, so, you know, Midsommar. Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, Will Poulter. Um, oh, God damn it. Uh, uh, William Jackson Harper, Cheedy from yep. Good Place. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of Swedish people. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know where to start here because, so 
somebody described this movie to me once in Hereditary as they're, they're movies where you've got a director that about 15 minutes into it, it's almost like they walk up to you, clap in your face, and say, are you paying attention now? You know? <laughs> Both these movies <laughs> have like that a, moment. Like the, the dude when, when Christian's on all the, the drugs and the dude claps in his face? <laughs> exactly. Exactly why'd you, like Why'd that. you do that? <laughs> and, and I yep. think in this movie, it, it comes a lot earlier than in, in Hereditary. Obviously, uh, you know, we get a, 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 a music cue that sounds like the world is ending. And, you know... Danny, Florence Pugh's character, on the other end of a phone with her, her boyfriend, uh, Christian. Is it Christian? Christian? Christian. Yes, Christian. Yep. Christian. Uh, just, like, just horribly crying. And, and, you know, then we see her parents dead from, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, God damn it, I can't speak. Murder? Carbon monoxide yeah, the, poisoning. Yeah, the an exhaust pipe. Yeah, the murder-suicide from her sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the worst. And, and ah. Uh, Rough, rough way to start a movie, but really sets the yeah. table nicely for everything that comes afterwards. But I, I absolutely love this opening. Oh, it's yeah, it's first twelve minutes, which actually this time watching it, I never really noticed it before. But her dad's chest is still rising; he's still breathing when she leaves the the voicemail, which kind of makes it even more like like oh, sad because like oh, if he just would have fucking woken up and answered that phone, uh, yeah, I didn't really notice that before. Which I was like, oh, that's pretty. Pretty interesting. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. Um, mm. And I have to say, this and then, you know, there's one other... It's not even really a jump scare, but there's a moment in a uh, in a dark room where Danny looks in the mirror and kind of sees her sister behind her. And th- there's yep. not a whole lot of scares in this movie. And that's one of the things that I, I think is really strong about this story. It's creepy, but everything is illuminated. You're in bright light. Everything's in the daytime. Uh-huh. And it's such a fucked up feel. Um, I really like that about this movie more more than anything else. The style is really incredible in this. Um, mm-hmm. So Jack Rayner, I, I remember him from a few things. I want to say he popped up in Sing Street, and uh, yeah, he's the older brother, right? Really liked him in Sing Street. Um, in this, he's obviously playing a little bit different of a role. Um, but man, the relationship stuff here, the Right from the get-go, like, the, the, the inability of the two of them to communicate with one another properly, and, you know, you just know that, like, this guy had the bad luck of not breaking up with this girl in time. Like, if he had just mm-hmm. done it a day before, then he, he, he wouldn't have to deal with any of this shit, you know? Um, yep. And, and the fact that she is, is so, like, emotionally vulnerable and... I don't know, clear, even before she knows that her parents and her sister are dead, she still seems like she's very, I don't know, her, her like emotional needs are not being fulfilled. I don't know how else to describe it, but she like there's something wrong with her. But it feels almost like it has to do with a bad, it's all around a bad relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Super toxic, yeah. This, yeah, it's a, this is a breakup movie. I mean, at its forefront. Yeah, of course... You know, you can say the same thing about hereditary family drama with, you know, horror elements and shit. But yeah, I mean, this is, I think, one of the best breakup movies. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it just deals with trauma on another level, which you just grief throughout the whole thing. I mean, there's so many, like, Easter eggs and shit, too, within this that we can get into, obviously, once we get it, like, a little bit further into the story. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, summer of 2019 is uh, when I was uh, going through some shit in my uh, old relationship. Yeah, so this movie you. hit a little different. Yeah, this movie hit a little different for me also. <laughs> um, gotcha, so gotcha. I think that's maybe why it resonated and connected with me uh, so much. Okay. Uh, okay. I watched this with a few people, and I think like two or three of us really liked it, and the others were like, what the fuck did we just watch? Like, Why did you like that? And yeah. to me, this movie, I think, I think this movie is fucking hilarious. Like, it is okay. really, really funny. That's exactly... I, I, I'm glad you said that, because I was going to say the same thing. But, so, mm-hmm. so this is only my maybe third time watching this. Definitely second, maybe third. Okay. And I remember seeing it in the theater... And there, I mean, some scenes are just openly fucking hilarious. Like, like mm-hmm. one of the funniest things I've seen in any movie. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But like, 
so many lines, so many like gestures are are so yep. like perversely fucking funny. That absolutely, man, Aster. I, I I don't want to see him make a comedy. I feel like Bowie's Afraid was his comedy, but no. man, I'm I'm right on this guy's wavelength um, in, in terms of his, his sense of humor. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, he's it, 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 well. I think he's described this movie a lot as the Wizard of Oz for perverts, which is pretty pretty. <laughs> I mean, you can you can even pull parallels of the three friends that come with him. The three males are like uh, the Cowardly Lion, Scarecrow, and the, the Tin Man. I mean, there's a lot of uh, parallels here, but. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I, I've always like Will Poulter as Mark. I, I, almost everything that he does in this movie, I fucking crack up at. Yeah. I mean, if whether it's just as soon as they get to the commune, he's fucking. Oh, we're gonna we should make it a stop at Waco before we go to Palais right. Village, and he's just right. hitting his vape, just being the douchiest American he can be. Um, or, or, yeah, um, I think he's really great. When they're planning the trip, and he says something like, "Oh, don't we have to go through?" Uh... Fuck. In uh, Stockholm or whatever. Stockholm. He's like, yeah, go through, go yeah. through some, like, sex town or something. It's just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> Take it yeah. easy. But, but yeah, I, I really like the friend dynamic in this. I guess I, I kind of honed in on that a little bit more this time. But, um, you know, w- William Jackson Harper, whose uh, character name I can't remember, but um, I kind of like Josh. Josh. I liked that Josh was, I don't know, he, he had an interesting presence that I... I I, I don't know why, but I kind of gravitated towards him. Um, the I, fact that he kind of earnestly was interested in going and writing his thesis on this this village and this way of life. Um, and the fact that the rest of them were kind of along for the ride. You know, obviously the one friend, he's going back to his home. with Pele? Pili? Pele? Pele, yep. Mm-hmm. Pele. And, um, there, yeah... I, I don't know. I, I, I really liked all four of those performances. And I guess I, I wasn't really clued into them the first time. Because I think the first time I saw the movie, I was sort of waiting for the worm to turn. Like, you go in and you're expecting this to be, I don't know, you saw Hereditary. So I, I guess you're kind of expecting yep. another, like, just, you know, knock down, drag them out horror movie. And I think it is a psychological horror movie, but it, it's it's a way different vibe and feel. Um, yeah. So being able to t- kind of rewatch, take a step back, and focus in on what the characters were doing, I, I I kind of enjoyed my time more with those guys, despite the fact that Will Poulter was like you know grade A douche throughout. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, it's it's you know for comedic effect. Um, yep. So a, a lot is going on in the movie, but I have to say the other thing that was way more apparent to me this time, and I, you know, since I've seen the movie, I remember reading online a lot about the cinematography and some of the camera tricks and all that other stuff, but, man, the hallucinogenic effects throughout the movie are fucking incredible. And, and they're so, oh, yeah. so, so, like, simple and tiny, but they go so far as to even sort of warp people's faces in the background that are out of focus. So it really kind of fucks with your perspective on things in certain scenes. Um, really, really like that. Um, well, yeah, it's I, like, I mean, from the second, from the second they get there, right. I mean, the, the mushrooms start the mushroom tea. And then, I mean, you don't know who, I mean, they're constantly drinking and eating shit that right. are, they're being handed. So it's like this constant of like, who knows who's tripping right now? Like, is this guy, I mean, what's real. I mean, there's, even to that, uh, what you're talking about with uh, just random faces and stuff, there you, you see Danny's parents when she's like crowned the May Queen at one point right. in, the, in the crowd. There, you see their faces distorted. I mean, yeah, there's there's so much going on in the background he's put in here, which is the attention to details is fucking awesome. There's one scene in particular I can't remember exactly where it is, but in the background in the trees, if you look, yep. you, you could see the sister with the yep. thing fucking taped to her face, like yeah, the tube. Yeah. Fucked up, like <laughs> deeply fucked up. Um, but I love stuff like that. I like yep. um, when a movie or a story can kind of tap into something subconscious that's going on. I, I really gravitate towards that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I know we're talking a lot of hereditary with this, but there's a scene in hereditary. Oh, it's hard not to though. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but but there's a scene in hereditary where there's a character sitting on a bed and it's dark. And there's another character who's in the corner of the roof of the fucking room 
over the, the mm-hmm. this character. And the way that Astor shoots it, it really is one of those things where you have to see that movie in a theater because that scene in a theater, the light is correct and you can see that properly. There's a, there's a, a similar scene in the, in the uh, remake of Funny Games where the two, um, I don't know, hooligans we'll call them, they decide to leave the family alone. They say, all right, we're going to leave. And there's a shot outside the house and it's extremely dark outside, but this house is like, Kind of in silhouette, you can see some of the lights on in, in a few of the windows. And if you look hard enough, you can see the two guys sitting outside the house, staring at the house. And it's one of those things where they hold the shot for a while so that your eye acclimatizes to the dark. And then you see what's in the frame and it freaks you out. I think Midsommar is doing that in the light. And I, I don't know of another movie that's done this this effectively. Um Granted, the tricks that Astor's employing here may be a little bit more CGI-influenced, but I think it works pretty well, and it's it, it's very unsettling, I guess is, is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only movie, other movie that I can think of that is taking place mostly in the light is Wicker Man, but even that's, like, it's mostly overcast, like, the mo- like the majority of that movie. So, I mean, it, it's like this, yeah. you know, kind of eerie feeling over it. But, yeah, this is very bright, you know, bright colors, everything, so... Yeah, I, ironically, one of the uh, local movie houses is actually showing The Wicker Man tomorrow night. So I, oh, nice. I don't know. I might end up there. We'll see. But, um, but yeah. So other things about this movie that I I really like. Um, so Florence Pugh, obviously, her star is kind of on the rise. Um, just saw her in Oppenheimer, and yep. she obviously pops up in a bunch of Marvel projects now. She's she's been in quite a few quite a few movies over the past few years. I think this was the first thing that I remember seeing her in, or at least I remember her starring in. There may be something mm-hmm. else, but this is really, it feels like it was her coming out party. Um, I think she's actually pretty good in this movie. Um, I, I don't have yeah, any problem with her performance whatsoever. Um, no, I mean, this movie could, I mean, it could go a totally separate way if the the, the lead performance here is not good. And she, uh, yeah, she carries it really well i mean she's handling all this grief and everything you kind of feel it like in her face and her emotions and yeah i think she's fantastic in this movie i got i got no issues with her whatsoever really with any of the main cast here i think they're all pretty great that's why the uh, the casting swap the pj is going to be a little bit harder to talk about a little later sure. but I, I i think the core cast here is spot on they nailed it all in all i know that they i think Haley lou richardson was going to audition but she turned it down unless yeah. i think i could see her in this but yeah, I think I think this is good performance all around. Yeah, I think there's a very fine line she walks where you have to be sympathetic. I think you also have to show the audience that, like, if you don't have the right, if if Danny doesn't have the right partner, then everything she does is going to come across as annoying, and and, and she's going to feel like very very clingy and very. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, annoying is the best word I could come up with for it. I, I don't know. It's. I think she walks a fine line of making you understand that she's dealing with this like incredible amount of, of guilt and sadness and, and and just darkness. But that also, she has absolutely no support around her. It, it kind of makes her like a I don't know like, like an open canvas, you know, blank canvas for whatever emotions this this village wants to sort of impart on her you know and i think it's why she so easily kind of steps into the role of the may queen later in the movie yeah um, mm-hmm. but so you know story story kind of evolves from you know the, them arriving at the village being welcomed and then beginning to participate in their midsummer festivities the first of which is a is sort of like a, a group meal but the the first actual ceremony ends up being a suicide ritual of two elderly folks in the in the commune or the village and this the at the at the stupa or whatever at the, at the stupa yeah that's what it's yeah. called there you go <laughs> so this is where this is where i want to start talking about whether or not these are bad people okay so objectively all right their way of life is they have four seasons of their life okay and after each one they have uh, sort of a, a ceremony of some kind to then 
like elevate to the next season of their life. And when they get to the final one, they believe that rather than suffering through old age, that they should return back to nature, right? That's kind of the gist of things. I think that's mm-hmm. an interesting concept. Um, I think there is some nobility in that as, as an idea. Um, shit doesn't really start to hit the fan until this ceremony, because at this ceremony is where, you know, the, the four, the five characters we've been following plus two others that another one of the, the Horga have brought to the, to the festivities they start dissenting and saying, like, this is fucked up, I can't believe this, blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm not saying that it would be fun to watch two people <laughs> jump off a cliff and kill themselves in front of me. That being said, if you're in a foreign setting with no cell phone service and this is their way of life, is there an alternate path to this story where these people are actually embraced by the village because they are accepting of their ways? It's an interesting guy, uh, question that I had. I don't know what you thought about this. Like, how much sure, of it I mean, is, is, I, is brought upon themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think even Christian's character brings that up to her. He says, uh, you know, like, this is just the way they, this is their way of life. You know, we put our elderly in nursing homes, and they think that's fucked up. So, right. and this is kind of, you know, how they do. This particular thing, I mean, I'm going to be honest. My biggest fear is getting old. Uh, so, sure. you know what? Fucking, yeah, 72. That's that, that's the ripe age, right? Sure. Um, and that's when they jump. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm with you for this part of it. They're they're not necessarily bad people because of this. It's uh, it's the rest of what happens and transpires. Uh, and the whole reason these people are here is why they're bad people. But maybe not this particular uh, ritual or... Uh, you know, All right, so uh, so this is uh, this is what this is what I want to interrogate though, because so the next thing that we know that happens is the two other visitor, if if memory serves, the two other visitors whose names I can't remember now. Um, yeah, Simon and Connie, the two Brits. Okay, they are killed uh, off screen, uh, sort of unceremoniously. Yes, but but they're I think. They're killed because they want to leave and they are unaccepting of the Horga's ways. Is that correct? Like, I didn't see another reason for that other than just they got to go. Well, it's because of the end sacrifice. They have to have eight bodies for the temple, right? I mean, and they're two of the bodies. Uh, that's right. So that, that's right. Yeah, so that, that, that's okay. the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, so whatever this whole thing's a spoiler the beginning mural that you see at the beginning of this movie paints the entire picture of the whole movie right here it's pele is the leader of the pack he's leading them into this it shows him leading all four of them and even mark is wearing the jester hat the joker he's leading them to the horiga to the left you see danny's even family committing like that whole ritual suicide and then over to the right you see the the eight dead bodies or whatever in the sacrifice i mean that and then it opens like the whole heart music um so yeah, I mean he he was leading them into their, their their death essentially. And there's also I don't know if you've ever read into some of the conspiracy theories about this which Ruben, you know the 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 oracle who's the product of uh yeah, inbreeding. Incest. Yeah. yeah, incest. There there the rumor there's rumor fan theories and rumors that Pele is also one of these uh incest babies essentially, but he has to prove himself. So he's not unclouded because you know he's not uh you know uh, mentally challenged essentially like sure. Ruben is but he so he's he's proving himself by bringing these people to the slaughter essentially uh, that's kind of an interesting, interesting theory i don't know if i totally buy into that um but that's just kind of reddit users taking things and going with it but it, it's well, that, kind of an interesting fan theory that could be a good explanation for his de- description of like you, you know my parents died in a fire Yep, exactly. Excuse exactly. Me. Damn it. See, but then Sorry. but then it gets tri- it, it gets tricky too though because he talks about this happens only 90 years and Ariaster has been quoted as saying what happens only every 90 years is the actual final ritual or the rich, the final ritual we see because this is only happening on what like day 5 or 6. There's still three more days of the Midsummer festival that happen after this that we don't actually see. Right. But he's saying that particular, the sac- eight of them sacrificed in the temple is only ni- every 90 years. So that, that yeah. But it is, 
hundred percent. I mean, he's like, my parents died in a fire. I know what you're talking about. So yeah, it's uh, he's an Pele is a very interesting character in general. I didn't really pick up on a lot of his stuff until these two recent rewatches. I'm like, oh okay, this dude is a is a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, definitely more going on with him than it seems. You know, at first uh-huh. when, when you start to see his like turning and I don't know, cozying up to Danny and consoling her, you kind of get the sense that something else is going on, but you're not you. Look, you know what movie you signed up for. So you know something fucked up is going to happen with these people. You're just not sure, like, the context yet. But, uh-huh, um, absolutely. But I, well, actually, and he's he's also the one that kills Josh, too. He's the one that hits him in the head with the mallet in the background. Yeah. You see kind of his foreshadowing of that, yeah. Right. Um, actually, I have a clip of, the two, of him and uh, Danny talking here. So let me give that a shot. What am I going through? Because I lost my parents, too. What? No, no, Pele, yes, yes, that yes. is not what I'm talking about. No, I'm not, not talking, talking about, about my about family. I'm I not lost talking my about parents my family. when I was I'm a little boy. About... They burned no, up in a fire. No, I wasn't talking about that. My parents, they no. burned up in a fire, and I became technically an orphan. So believe me when I tell you that I know what it's like, because I do, I really, really do. Yet my difference is I never got the chance to feel lost, because I had a family. Here, where everyone embraced me and swept me up. And I was raised by a community that doesn't bicker over what's theirs and what's not theirs. That's what you were given. But I have always felt held. Very interesting way of talking to Danny there. It's not manipulative. I think he's being honest with her. Um, like, I get the sense that his conversations with her are always very straightforward. You know, he's he's not telling her everything. He's just... He, he, he's, he's not lying to her, though. Like, I, uh-huh. I never get that sense with him. Um, no. Very interesting character. I, I agree with you. I, I, I felt like I picked up a lot of nuance with what he was doing. Um, you know, like, she wins the the May Queen uh, contest and he comes over and he just like very passionately kisses her. And it's, it's just, yep. it's like, huh, that's, that's interesting. Like, uh, yep. so very, uh, I don't know, very, very shady guy, but, um, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you mentioned Ruben. Um, so, okay. So before, before I say that, uh, I clearly missed a detail about the eight sacrifices so, yes, these are definitely evil people. I don't think we can argue against that anymore. So, yeah, let's go ahead and just make sure that's, that's a thing. Okay. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, so Ruben. So here's where the hilarity of this movie comes in for me, okay? So you're telling me that these cultists out in the woods in Sweden, they are, <laughs> they are, are following the interpretations of the word of God or like the earth from a mentally challenged baby of incest who like paints in a book with with like a mishmash of colors. (laughs) That's right. He's unclouded. Okay. He's not, he's not clouded by the world and the judgment and everything else. He's unclouded. (laughs) Dude, that, that is some top tier comedy bullshit right there. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, he's like the elders. We interpret his paintings, and you see it's just finger paintings. Just fucking, <laughs> fucking great. I, I, uh, yeah, maybe we're fucking demented fucks, but I, I dude, I'd, I, the, the first time I watched this movie, I was laughing. I like even the last half hour of the movie is so fucking funny to me. Like it, it oh, just yeah. is. Like I don't know, it's a different wavelength with me. I'm just, yeah, I, I watch this movie differently than some no, people dude. because. I think that maybe is the problem, right? I think I think so many people go into like this or hereditary, which people call elevated horror or whatever the fuck. I hate that term, but like it, it's just like they're expecting you know these jump scare shit, and that's just not what this is. So I can see people. It's a fucked up movie, sure, but it, like it's not going to be what your general audience. Uh, I actually don't even remember what the cinema score is for this. It's got to be like below a C or something. I feel probably. Like. I looked that up. But yeah, I looked that up over something. <laughs> But yeah, there, there's. I just walked away from this very impressed on this rewatch with the filmmaking. I mean, I, I knew that the filmmaking was good. I knew the cinematography was was interesting. Like there was a lot of, like you said before, Easter eggs and 
unique flourishes and, and things like that. But I, I think the performances are better than I gave the movie credit for. Even Jack Rayner, like I'm not the biggest fan of him as an actor. Um, mm-hmm. I've let, like I said, Sing Street was good. I've seen him in some other stuff where he was sort of, uh, as the kids say, mid. Um, was he in a Transformers movie? I feel like I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, I think that Something might have been like one of the only things I've seen him in. Yeah, in Sing Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his performance, it may be one of those things where it's it's kind of like the uh, my default is always like Sharon Stone in Casino, like a fucking hater. But she's great. I can't deny that mm-hmm. performance at all. She's just a shitty yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the the thing with him in this movie is like Christian is such a fucking piece of shit. Like he's oh, so yeah. emotionally disconnected, and he's basically just fucking with this girl. Like, why are you with her if you you got nothing for her? You know, I, look, I understand. Like, you're in a relationship. You haven't connected with somebody. Just do them the respect of like breaking up with them at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. And this movie seems to be about a guy who just, for whatever reason, is just he's he's more of an asshole for not moving on. And I, I, he just annoyed the fuck out of me. His performance did in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, he's a he's a cocksucker for sure. I mean, it's like. Uh... You would think, too, like, okay, maybe it's just, like, a casual, you know, college relationship or something. But, no, it's, like, they've been together for four fucking years. So, it's, uh, it's like, and he doesn't even remember it's been four years, of course, either. But, yeah, he, he definitely deserves to drink the, uh, the period, the period, uh, menstrual concoction that he, he drinks. And, 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 and eat the pubie hair. I mean, yeah, he's just a, just a grade-A douche all around in this movie. <laughs> I mean, the fucking, like, like, he doesn't even remember her birthday? That is, like, yep. I, look, I understand... Listen, I've been with my wife for a long time now, you know. It's only been a couple of years of marriage, but we're going on like 16 years together. I get it. Once in a while, you forget a date or something, or it takes a little while to get on board with, with every pinnacle, you know, moment on the calendar. That's understandable. Mm-hmm. Sure. Four <laughs> years into a relationship and you don't remember a fucking birthday? What kind of asshole are you? <laughs> like, really, dude? Well, no, it was the daylight. The daylight fucked him up, okay? It was, that oh. was all it was. Good call. I'm but, starting to understand who you are in this in this movie. <laughs> it's becoming very clear. <laughs> but to your point earlier about Josh, you know, you're like connecting with him. He, he's, you know, he's clearly the whole reason he's going here is to do his thesis. And while there, he's like, actually, I'm going to do my thesis now. He's like, but really, dude, like, what, what the fuck? And so he, yeah. he's just, he's just like the worst character. So it's like. Honestly, what happens to him at the end of this movie is pretty satisfying, and I've never had an issue with it. I'm like, yes, fuck that guy. I'm legit. He's the worst. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's the only direction that character needs to go in. Right. And so, like, in the director's cut, uh, there's about 23 extra minutes of footage, and it kind of just even makes him more of a douche. Uh, (laughs) Like, the... You said how many... Did you get to the scene where he's like, oh, I, I planned the whole thing. I was trying to be romantic. It's like a whole gaslighting thing, essentially, to like... Yeah, I think that's around where I I, uh, I had to pause it, and I just I okay, never got so back that, to the director's cut, so... Okay, yeah, that, that's not in the theatrical. I mean, th- that was a whole... That was a scene they cut out of it, but he's... He, he Once she confronts him about it, he's like, oh, I was going to invite you the whole time, you know? It was, I was just trying to be romantic, and it's just like, it makes oh. him more douchey. You, you hate him even more, and it makes it more justified for why she does what she does at the end, even, because there's more scenes why, when they're there, uh, they have a big argument, and he even brings up that fact that, like, I didn't know how to handle it. I wanted to break up with you, but then your 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 family died, and I would have been a dick, essentially, if I would have done that. So he, he brings that out, and she's like, what the fuck? I mean... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more layers to Christian with the director's cut that you get, but you still hate him even more. Um, what? Yeah. Um, well, while while we're on that subject, do you remember more of the differences between the theatrical and the director's cut? Yeah. So the, the, honestly, the biggest one they expand a little bit more on the rituals, and there's a ritual completely cut out of the movie, which explains uh, Connie's death. Because um, you okay. see her at the end as they're wheelbarrowing her hand, she's uh, very bloated, like she was yeah. drowned. And there's a whole ritual that they do right after the uh, Atestupa scene. It's literally like they get back to the, the the commune, and then like five minutes later, they're like, "Here's another one." And so they're it, they're 
they're essentially drowning. They're going to drown like a 12-year-old boy. They throw a ro- put a rock on him, and they're like swinging him into a creek. Um, but he has to prove himself and prove his worth. And so, yeah, in theory, you can kind of put two and two together. When she's screaming, that's what's happening to her. They're swinging her into this creek, and they drown her. Um, oh, that's like the biggest. That's the biggest one. Um, but really, yeah, it's, it's just more expansive of uh, Christian and Danny's relationship. Other than that, yeah, y- there's a lot that you could have. And, and even another scene with um, Josh and Christian talking about their thesis stuff. That that more that's more expansive in the, the director's cut. But yeah, outside of the scene with uh, um, with Connie, that that whole ritual scene. You, the theatrical ver- the cut is fine, I think, honestly. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, twenty-three extra minutes. If if you're interested in it, definitely, I would I would watch it um, if you like this movie and just kind of see the differences. But yeah, it's nice. not like a Blade Runner final cut or something where it's like exponentially better or something. So yeah. <laughs> no, no, understood. Nice. Um, yeah. So you know, just to kind of wrap up story-wise, what happens here? Um, we end up. <laughs> kind of systematically ripping through everybody. So pretty much everybody but Danny and Christian end up dead uh, for different reasons. You know, Will Poulter gets taken off with some chick that was giving him eyes. We don't (laughs) really know exactly what happens to him because the next time we see him is uh, somebody's like wearing his skin, which is fucking hilarious. (laughs) All because he pissed on the ancestral tree. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because I think in theory, right, I think Christian and Mark they were brought there to breed like they kind of even make that mention. Like we were bringing you here to breed, uh, but he fucked up and pissed on the tree. And so they're like, we're going to cut you early. (laughs) And so Christian, you can shoot a baby into one of the the virgins. But yeah, it's, I've heard some, there's a lot more parallels with like white supremacy in this cult that Astor was trying to get uh, across that didn't. And there is a scene in the, uh, actually that is in the director's cut. Uh, Josh is talking in the cab about the, he mentions the, like, is this the young Yathura, like, symbols? He's like, oh, I, actually, this is the elder. And I guess that was, like, very much involved with, like, uh, I don't know, something involved with this particular Swedish um, cult with, uh, like, the KKK. Like, they took parts of that cult and so yeah i think and that's why they're all i don't know if they're all white and they were never going to let josh breed with someone because he's african-american so that was like a whole other thing yeah there's just so many fucking astor's his mind uh, i would like to just like peer inside of it he's a he's a strange fellow but he's he does his homework for sure (laughs) yeah i mean one thing i definitely have to give him credit for is that the lore in his movies is is incredibly well researched and reasoned out um uh-huh. Like there's so much more work that he does in the background that I, I feel like a lot of it doesn't even show up on screen really, but it sort of just makes his movies in and of their own like universe almost. But mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, but yeah. So we kind of barrel towards the ending. Uh, Josh gets iced while he's taking photos of the uh, the, the ruby <laughs> the ruby roots or something, whatever that's yeah, called. The Bible. The ru- ru- yeah, the ruby. Yep. Uh huh. Um, so he's he's out for the count uh, in a fucking brutal death scene. Like <laughs> he he gets hit and then he's like panting on the ground and then he gets his head crushed. It's just like Jesus fucking Christ, man. Um, <laughs> everybody's down for the count. Danny is being elevated to this like you know kind of honorary member of the the Horga, and then she's well then then Christian is brought into the breeding chamber for the funniest scene <laughs> maybe of all time. I, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I don't know how Aster came up with this, but having a room of like 12 naked women with two people having sex on the ground. And then one of them kind of leans down to, to, to like sing. She's holding his hands and look. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the or whatever fuck? she's saying. That's, I could honestly, I I couldn't stop laughing. I, I like I thought it was funny in the theater. That is so much funnier uh-huh. the second time. That that is that is yeah. comedic fucking goals, dude. <laughs> oh my god. So have uh, have you heard Jack Rayner talk about this scene at all? No, no. So I, apparently it was on the last day of filming, like literally the last day, and none of the women in the room spoke English at all. 
and he's he was like trying to make them comfortable but he was also the one doing full frontal nudity and he was like hey i want to be exposed because you know like women are always naked in horror movies but guys aren't and this guy's like a horrible person and i want him to just be like really vulnerable but he was he was just talking about trying to keep morale up with these women that were like all naked and didn't speak a lick of it. it's pretty funny it's like i can't oh, even imagine and how hot it must have been because they shot all of this in like hungary i think um Jesus. Like in the middle of the summer, so it's like, yeah, yeah, another I, level. I, look, I, I don't, I understand a lot of people have their problems with this movie, and you know maybe they can't deal with the style, or, or it's like too claustrophobic, or the whole idea of like the grief of the movie is just too much for them. Um, I just think that watching this movie, seeing this scene, makes up for any reservations that you have about it beforehand. <laughs> I think this truly is one of the funniest things that has ever been filmed. Um, it's unbelievable. Like, it's so funny that you can't spoof it even if you tried. Because, like, the spoof couldn't be funnier than this. It's that <laughs> it's funny. True. Um, I, I love this scene. I told, I had not thought about this since I saw it in the theater. Like, I, I, There's a lot of wild shit in this movie. This was one of those things that I remember seeing. As soon as the scene started, I'm like, oh, that's right. This happens. I hadn't thought about it since then, though. And my God, like I just, I, I'm I'm gonna remember this forever now. Like this is, it, yep. it's, it's gold. It's absolute gold. <laughs> um, so in any case, this happens. We get to the end of the story where Danny, you know, makes a choice of who's gonna be sacrificed. Uh, she chooses Christian. He gets put in the barn with two members of the Horga and all of the other folks that uh, we have seen get eviscerated throughout the movie. They light it up on fire. She smiles and we cut the credits. Um, I, I really, really enjoy this movie. <laughs> it, it, it was good the first time. I feel like it's become a great movie for me the second slash third time. But um, not a lot I have to criticize as far as the story goes. All that we have said, um, I think, leads us into superlative time to break things up a bit. So, so I'm going to ask: Can we take the first pee break in uh, movie homework history? Because I've, I've got to pee before this. I'm going to be honest with you. Absolutely. Uh, let me <laughs> do this. We're going to pause it. We're going to come right back. All right. So into the superlatives, Jack. Well, I feel like right. usually start these. Go, mm, go, you. No, no, no. You, uh, I, I'll let you go first, but let me at least hit this sounder for the Cupka. That's that dude! Scene stealer or cameo. Mm. What do you have up top? I mean, there's not really a lot of cameos in this, but I went with scene stealer. And it's got to be Will Poulter as Mark, man. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, from the second you are introduced to him, he's just cracking the fucking jokes and he's making me laugh the entire time. So scene stealer is Will Poulter for me. What about you? So I knew you were going to go Will Poulter because he was the first person <laughs> I thought of. And I was like, oh, he's the obvious choice here. Oh, I bet you Chad mm -hmm. chooses him. So let me, let me choose somebody else. Uh, yep. I didn't look up the actor's name. I'm going to go with Ruben because it's fucking ah. hilarious. Like <laughs> that dude is the, the Oracle. He's the fucking seer. And I, I yep. remember after you learn who he is and what he's doing, there's a cutaway shot to him literally like scribbling on a piece of paper with finger paints. I swear to God, dude, that is oh, yeah. that is some top tier shit. Love it. Well, fucking what the fuck? All right, most punchable face. Uh, I gotta tell you, it's actually gonna be the same person. I think Ruben is just that's a very punchable <laughs> face. Like it's just doughy, and there's like too much flesh there. I feel like if you're gonna connect. With that face, you're going to have a very low chance of hurting yourself. So I, I just, I don't know. I feel like if you wanted a good punching bag, he's there for the taking. So. Okay, okay. Um, I went with the obvious choice with this one, Christian, Jack Rayner. He's just yeah. the worst. You just want to punch him in the face the whole time. Um, yeah, pretty easy. Pretty easy choice for me. Makes sense to me. Great A douche. But... Tell me something <laughs> about something I was reading about. All right, Ammon. The best quote. What do you have for this? Uh, I went with a Mark quote. Uh, it's when uh, they're in the, the the house they're all, or the, the place they're all sleeping, and uh, whoever it was, the girl that's flirting with him goes by and he's like, oh my god, I want to give her a bath. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fucking random. <laughs> why, why do you want to give her a bath of all things? But it's just so fucking funny to me. 
So for this one, there were a bunch of good lines, but I decided to pull a clip for mine, so I don't even know <laughs> what to say about this, because it's not technically a line, it's more of like a noise, but here it is. <laughs> I mean, that's... I don't know what that is. <laughs> It's it's the I, I can't not think about it. when I think of Midsommar, that's the first thing that I think of. It, it's just it's deeply fucked up. I don't know I don't know what else to tell you, but <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Alright. I know this is a hot take. This is the Chad C. Most entertaining scene. Uh I, I said it before, I'll say it again. It's the funniest scene of this movie. It's the funniest scene I've seen maybe in the last ten years. It is the sex scene at the end brutally hilarious scene i I love it uh i kind of want to watch it again right after we're done with this podcast (laughs) (laughs) you goddamn pervert um i i I went with just like the last 25 minutes of the movie really like the fact like pretty much from this when danny finds christian fucking the chick uh from that point on it's just like a spiral into craziness and yeah, it's hard to look away during any of it. The the bear scene, I mean, when she's deciding who to fucking put in the temple. I mean, yeah, all in all. Yeah. Great. Kind of cheated, but whatever. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. There are no real rules here. Uh, all right, TM. I mean, wow. What's held up the best or worst? Did you have anything for this? So, it, it, this movie's only four years old. Hard to say it's aged the worst. But I did find one little thing. So, okay. when... The temple, when they're putting all the bodies in there, Mr. Josh, the African-American, old uh, William Jackson Harper, has two full legs on his body. And you uh, clearly see, like, ten minutes before that, when Christian's running around, he sees one of the legs and feet, like, sticking up out of the garden or whatever the fuck it is. So so is the body buried with leg one leg like that? Mm, doesn't seem probable, but hey, there's uh, he's got two full legs in that, that uh, temple, so... Uh, I, I caught that, Mr. Astor. What the fuck, bro? Nice catch. Very nice. <laughs> what do you got? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really find anything that didn't hold up. Like you said, it's a four-year-old movie. Um, it's it's still considered a modern film. It's, you know, it's obviously been very recent. Um, it doesn't feel dated. There's no technology in it that bugged me. There's nothing along those lines. As for what's held up the best, I think the direction and the cinematography um, I know it was good the first time that I saw it, but I really think that the choice of making the audience try and feel the hallucinogenics in in like a visual way, um, it was just very interesting and cool. I think there maybe were a couple instances where it looked a little bit too fake. Um, in particular, I think when they first take the mushrooms and, and the tea, um, there's a moment where... Danny is sitting next to a tree and she sort of looks up the trunk of a tree and you can see movement on the trunk itself and it looks a little bit jakey. Uh, but other than that, I think it's pretty damn good for the rest of the uh, runtime. So, yeah. All right, PMC. Best use of music. Um, for me, it is definitely the opening sequence where Danny gets the news calls Christian and then it cuts to the house and the firefighters and the aftermath of what's happened. Um, the way that the tension and the dread just turns up from like one to 11 in a second. Um, Oh yeah. It's really well done. I I think that's a great musical cue. Yeah. I mean, I think this score is just fucking awesome in general. Um, the hacks and cloak, uh, it's his, his name. Bobby Krillick is uh, his actual name, but the Hacks and Cloak is what he goes by. He has two uh, ambient albums. If you've never listened, if you like that kind of music, I would highly recommend. But he also, he did, this guy did the score for Red Dead Redemption too. You knew that. Did you know that? You know, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. He did beef the TV show recently. Snowpiercer, the TV show, but then yeah, Midsommar and Bo's Afraid, and he's got Blue Beetle coming out, which whatever. But yeah, I, this guy's a pretty interesting musician. I like I like most of the score, but I, same with you. I had that written down. That particular song is called Gassed. Um, but my favorite is the uh, at at the stupa scene, the ceremony. It's got that like very uh, you know that choir kind of in the back, and yeah, it's yeah. very. Uh, very eerie feeling. I love that scene. Like the, it's just yeah, it's just like this underlying tone. It's, yeah, it's great. Love it. So it's just like a lot of good dread, music. It's like underlying dread with everything. You know, yep. like there's yeah, there's something wrong. You can't totally place it, but like you know, it you know something's something's not great. But definitely, definitely, very nice. All right, uh, the PJ dynamite <laughs> drop in, Monty. This is for a uh, casting swap. Did you have anything for this? Man, I had a rough time with this. Like I said earlier, I think they're all really good, and I wouldn't replace anyone. But if I did, I I was grasping at straws here just to have something. I I don't know if William Jackson Harper's character is, like, fully developed, and I don't know if it's his fault. He just doesn't have a ton to do. Okay. but I went with uh, I went with some different choices here, which are probably way more well-known people that would maybe take people out of this movie. But it was also four years ago. John David Washington, I went with here. Okay. Um, he wasn't quite in Tenet yet. He was in Ballers. He was pretty. He's around the same. He's actually three years younger than uh, William Jackson Harper's way older. He was born in 1980. This guy's fucking way yeah. older than you think he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like 10, 12 years older than the rest of the cast, which you wouldn't notice, but. Yeah, he's. Uh, I was grasping, man. So uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't replace him. But if I did, I guess I would go with that. Yeah. What about you? Um. So I had two options for this. I kind of feel the same way you do. Like I don't really have problems with the cast. Um. So this is less about. I don't know. Um, knocking down the performances that are here. It's more just a kind of what if thing. Um. But I did. You know, I did brush up against Jack Rayner a bit. So if I was mm-hmm. going to cast that, I actually, I guess this is due to the menu, but I actually would like to see Nicholas Holt in this role. And I feel like I've mentioned oh. him for a few different things so far, mm-hmm. but I just think it's because I, I really like him in a lot of things that I've seen. And I feel like it's been a pretty wide range of stuff. Um, and yeah, the the general douchiness that he has in the menu, I think would have been... Uh, an interesting way to play off of Florence Pugh's character here. Um, it might have worked. Um, I like it. I like it. Yeah, the the other casting swap that I would like to do is, uh, well, it really makes this film into the true comedy that it's trying to be. And there are... So I don't know the name of this character, but all I can tell you is that he's one of the bearded elders, and he's the one that gives Christian the drug, and he's like, for your vitality. You know, before he goes into the fucking sex chamber. Um, uh-huh. But he's like, he's one of the faces throughout the movie. You see him at all the different meals. You see him at the ceremonies. So he's omnipresent, right? He doesn't have a ton of lines. He does speak a few in a few moments. And he's obviously like one of the, the leaders of the community. But there isn't a ton of focus on him. So I was thinking to myself, okay, what would be a great piece of casting to recast this guy? So that you would see him, and you would know it's him, but he wouldn't be there so often that it would destroy the tone of the rest of the movie. I'm going with our boy, Danny McBride, for this role. (laughs) I would love to see it. I think it's well within his wheelhouse. And I'm talking just play it totally straight. Like, no, no fucking hint of jokiness or anything. I'm like... We're not playing Kenny Powers. We're not playing a fucking gemstone. We're just, we're, we're playing it as straight as possible. You know, say Skull a couple of times. But if it's just Danny McBride there, I feel like this movie is like 28% funnier. So, that's okay. I, I don't know. I, I, might, I feel like seeing his face might have taken me out. But either way, I, I like it. I love Danny McBride. I can get behind it. Okay. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> all right. So, the extra credit. A... Uh, member of the bench staff, if we were going to swap them for somebody in the movie, who would it be? Um, I only had one answer for this. I, maybe it's the smarminess. Maybe it's just the uh, the, the, the funny uh, nature of the role. I don't really know what to tell you, Chad, but I think that you're in this movie, and I think you're Will Poulter. 
I just hit my vape the whole time. I'm just there to get fucked. I'm there to get fucked up and fuck the Swedish chicks. All right, I can get behind that. That's That's fine. It just felt right. I don't know what to tell you, man. Just, just don't cut my skin off and wear it like Leatherface next week when I'm with you. Okay, I'm staying with you. So. Look, it's I, I I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, you don't know what's gonna happen. Let's just go with the go with the flow. God damn it! All right, so I went I went a little opposite here. Okay. I needed Mister Fucking Podfather himself, Jim Law, as one of the elders of this commune. I think right. I think he would I think he would have just been just right at home. He's just chilling here. He's you know he's just doing weird shit. Yeah, I feel like I could see it. I could see Law in his white cloak and, uh, yeah, just being a sketchy motherfucker. That's where I went. So, <laughs> to, to, to paraphrase a uh, a great film, the bald hair, the flowing robes, striking. <laughs> nice. Maybe it's because he's elderly also, and the guy's fucking old as shit. Get yeah, out of here, Law. Sorry. You're, you're, he's never listening to this. Who cares? That's right. That's right. Step Chad is scorned. So, all right. Um... Midsommar. So we've said a lot about this movie. You know, I, I feel like we could dive even deeper on this, but um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds with it. I think there that there's a fair amount of stuff in this movie that it's it's kind of good for people who have seen the movie to go and revisit themselves. Um, you know, movies are always an experience, good one or a bad one or somewhere in between, and uh, there's there's an experiential aspect of of being in this movie while it's happening that I, I think is really um, key to being on its wavelength. The kind of movie that really would benefit from another viewing in a theater, I think. Um, just being able to shut the phone off, focus on nothing else, but, but it, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I am I am a huge fan of Aster. Uh, I can't wait to see whatever his next movie is. For, in my book, he's three for three. Um, so if we're coming down to letter grades here, uh, I I can't give Midsommar anything less than an A. Uh, I I think it's exactly the kind of movie that I want to see from my auteur filmmakers. Um, something that's like fairly challenging and I don't know, it doesn't really cleanly sit in one genre. It sort of straddles a few and does it successfully. Um, I know there are a lot of movies that have, have kind of failed at doing that over the years, but this is one of the good ones. I, I think this is a, a really good time and well worth uh, revisiting for those who may have not seen it in a while. So an A from me. But Chad, what do you think of this? I'm right there with you, buddy. It's, it's absolutely an A. I think this movie gets better with repeat viewings, like I already said. I I will defend this movie until I can't. I, I, I People that watch this and are like, get fucking trash. I'm just like, mm, did you, what were you What were you expecting? Did you, like, that's, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. I feel like most people that are watching this are, are expecting some type of horror movie that they're not getting or that yeah. did watch it. But by the way, C plus cinema score is what it got. So not <laughs> not great, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, easy A, easy. Um, I'm a fan and I will continue to watch this movie uh, for years to come. Uh, and I can't wait to see what Ari Aster does next. Absolutely. So, so as somebody in the know, what is the cinema score? Like, where does that come from? So that is essentially there are people that wait outside of theaters and they pull people as they leave them and they ask them essentially their thoughts, what they like. It's like, what did you expect and what did you get? It's like, what did you get based on your expectations, essentially? So it, it, that's essentially what it is. So if a movie gets an A cinema score, it is extremely positive for the rest of that uh, movie's legs at the box office. If it gets below that, even a B, it is like, uh-oh, this thing has got a maybe one or two week uh, life and then it's going to die. So, yeah, it's... uh. That it, 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 yeah, it, it's stupid. It, it does sound stupid, but it, yeah, it's weird, man. It's like if you see a movie come out and it gets below an A cinema score, like Oppenheimer and Barbie just got, they both got A's. So those are obviously going to live long and prosper at the box office. Star Trek reference, Jack. Hey, you appreciate fucking that. Fucking call back uh. over here, <laughs> fucking guy. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's it's dumb, but yeah, it, it's weird. It, it it's it matters a lot at the for box office numbers essentially. Yeah, I, I'm nope. just curious because I see that cinema score thing once in a while, and I've always wondered, like, okay, it's is it like 
audience aggregates? Is there a website for it? Like, where does that where does that come from? You know, so um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that this movie would have a low cinema score because <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, um, but but you know what? I'm I'm glad. I like the fact that Astor is one of those guys who operates on a wavelength where I don't think that he gives a shit too much about trying to please everybody. I think it, it, we're a much better uh, film world the more filmmakers can get on board with that line of thinking. You know, don't make every movie for everybody. Like, just make the thing you're making really good and, and it, you know, if I like it, I'll be the judge of that. Don't try and fucking pander to me with, you know, cameos and product placement or whatever. So, so yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for Midsommar. Uh, go and check it out. Rewatch. Watch it for the first time. If you listen to this show and hadn't seen it before, it's a little odd, but, you know, you do you. Um, binge movie homework at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with us. Uh, send us an email, send some suggestions, some thoughts, criticisms, uh, anything. We're always open to, uh, really anything coming down the pike. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been tying our next films into theatrical releases. So Chad, what do we have on the docket for next time? Two weeks from... Now, we've got The Last Voyage of the Demeter releasing in theaters, which is based off of uh, the captain's log from Bram Stoker's Dracula. So we thought, why don't we go back to revisit Mr. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. So, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a good time. It's been a long time. It's actually been a couple years since I've seen this movie, so. Yeah, yeah, been a little while. Make it confident. I, uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with that movie in particular. I, I remember there was a, uh, a pretty good video essay about it that I saw maybe a year or two ago, but, uh, yeah, yeah, some interesting stuff there that I definitely want to, want to get into. I got I gotta get a couple of rewatches of that in because there's some stuff I, I want to, want to hone in on, but in any case, that's for next episode. So, um, all right, Chad, you got anything else? I got nothing, man. All right. That's it. Till next time. Same peace. Thank you for listening to Movie Homework, a Binge Media production. Follow the Binge Media Podcast Network at bingemedia.com, patreon.com slash binge media, or wherever you get podcasts. Got a movie suggestion? An award suggestion? Send us an email at bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. Binge Media.